Good evening and welcome to Elite Rugby Banter. Uh, it's the second week where it's the B team or not the B team, but we also are joined by a special guest. So first, let's welcome our guest. He's one of the OGs. He's back in the hot seat. Matt, how are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Good to have you here. I'm sure Thanks. there are many yeah. people out there who are happy to hear your voice after a long absence. I don't know. You might have just plugged and you might have just sunk this new format just by immediately having me on. <laughs> uh, I'm sure your your uh, input is going to be valued, not just by us, but by everyone. Um, and then together with Matt, we have Ant returning. Ant, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Um, I'm yeah, interested that Matt's already been demoted to guest status, but I suppose you know we, we've got to lay our claim somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll... Uh, cement his position before too long, back where he belongs. Um, and lastly, but not least, Andrew, welcome back. Thank you very much. Good to be back. Excited for the upcoming rugby this weekend? I am, although I don't know if I'm going to catch it because I'm supposed to be learning how to scuba dive this weekend. But uh, hopefully we get out of the water by the time they the kick off. Yeah, I would imagine you should start that quite early. So five o'clock kick off. Yeah, you're you still underwater at five o'clock. <laughs> well, and this thing's got very bad. Doing a low light, low light course or what? <laughs> Night dive. Night diving. Yeah, you might miss the Aussie game then. It's a uh, skinny scuba. <laughs> just, just on on the the topic before I do forget. Apparently, our match against Australia in Adelaide is seven fifty in the morning here. And so that one would be in about uh, a month or two, or a month and a half, I, I think. I don't know. I sh well, two weekends plus a break, then a game. Yeah. It'll probably okay. be a month, three or four yeah. weeks. But, anyway, just just start start getting those alarms set early. It's going to be a, a a strong start to the day. Like, norm yeah, normally, it's, that's a, it's a midday game, right? So yeah, yeah Australia is normally eleven thirty. Ah. Okay. So, don't, don't know what they they're trying to play with us, but seven thirty in the morning is going to be a, a, a strong start. Look, that's that's very early for the bitblitz to come out, eh? That's yeah, what I'm no saying. Luck, yeah. Although it's just stop, training stop for me and my in my new role from November, so I'm just going to get used <laughs> to waking up at for seven on a Saturday. It's moving fast, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah, no, it's stressing me out. Um, is that an announcement we need to make? Update on on Matt's personal life. Did we? I can't remember. It's I think so. Oh, <laughs> I, I think it was before we. It was shared after we stopped recording. Yeah. So, as part of the OGs, I guess I'm also joining the dad squad. I got to officially announce that I'm eventually going to be joining the dad team as well. Nice. Are you are you really putting plans in action to out top dad Adam? I mean. The problem is, I think less than six months in, he claimed to be an experienced father, and I don't think I'll be able to crack that nod that quickly. <laughs> it's it's always a catch-up from here. You'll never catch up in experience. Never, to, not, especially not to Adam. <laughs> ben, maybe, ben, I can maybe reel in. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly some strong competition for the, the daddy derbies in the draft now. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be one whole half half of the draw, I guess. Rich as well, yeah. All right. So the, dad, the dad pool and the non-dad pool, and then the playoffs from there. <laughs> I like that structure, actually. That could work quite well in our favor. <laughs> All right, it's should we uh, dive into some news, though? Sorry. 
And yeah, move on. Yeah, I think we can get going. <laughs> All right. So first up uh, on Saturday evening, um, the SA Sevens team did us all proud and won the gold medal. Did Woo! you guys manage to see it? I think one is an understatement. This would be my very quick comment. Romped yeah. home in dominating fashion. Yeah. But I mean, we've had, I wonder... what, two tries scored against us the whole tournament. Yeah. Out of no, curiosity, sorry, I wonder how much of how much of poor Fiji's performance was a result of how long and how exhausted they must have been after their semi? Yeah, that was against New Zealand, Zealand right? 20 seconds into extra time, to be fair. Yeah, but both both halves also ran long as well. Okay, no, that is true. Um, but, you know, both we've got we also missing like three or four injuries, so. <laughs> it is, yeah. No, definitely. I'm just saying, like, shame. But no, for sure. I'm sure that, that did, did play a factor. Now, my only, my only uh, I mean, if you can, uh, it would be me to find a, a sour moment in a gold medal, but um, uh, like Angelo Davids needed one more try to equal Ciabellas and Atlas tournament record, and they go the opposite way on the final play of the game. <laughs> Why not give the man a chance? Yeah, they were. The, I, I was thinking that at the time as well. Because <laughs> they were comfortably up at that point, yeah. It's not like yeah. they risked throwing the game away, so. Yeah, perhaps you're right. Um, he did get a couple of chances, I think, in the final. Or at least he touched the ball a few times, but it wasn't to be. Um, and maybe Sinatla's record isn't meant to be matched. He was pretty good back in the day. That's very true. <laughs> that note, it was interesting that both him and Ruan Nell. And one or two others of the OGs were in the initial squad and didn't make the cut, um, which I just found interesting. You know, I, I think we've always struggled to replace an Atla as a out-and-out speedster. Uh, mm. Maybe he, did, you know, he, he doesn't have that speed anymore. But yeah, no, it was a, it was an incredible performance. That particularly on that Saturday, just Salvin Davis was just doing all the things. I mean, he had that ball on a string with every type of kick and yeah. pass. Mm. Just throwing some ridiculously pinpoint stuff, and Angela yeah, it was just benefiting just left, right, and center. Uh, but just, I mean, just all around a very clinical, very dominant display, which is lovely to see given the second half of the season and they've been looking quite shaky, quite rusty, not comfortable in all their systems. So it's great that now heading to the last two tournaments and the World Cup, um, they're looking back on track. You know, so it would be amazing if they could pull the treble uh, series, Commonwealth Games, and World Cup in the same like two month space. Yeah, it's good warm-up for the World Cup, which is obviously here in Cape Town very soon. So, yeah, they're looking pretty good, I would say, possibly favourites at this point. Um, yeah, the other good news on the weekend was that the SA women team managed to get their first win uh, over Japan. They lost the first match of the series, but it was a two-match series, so it managed to tie it up. I don't know if you guys managed to even see any highlights of the game. I saw one very impressive try, which was sort of like a deep pass, running from deep, drawing the last player. So... Some very good tries, so also building up to the World Cup later this year. Hopefully, um, some good progress on that side. Yeah, that try was exceptional. I mean, that line the fullback ran was incredible. And then just really well held to, to get the pass out to, to the wing. Um, it was like an 80-meter run or whatever. It was yeah, very impressive. Cool. And um, some news that broke through earlier today was uh, Samu Karevi. looks like he's out for the whole year, so obviously including cool. all the rugby championship games. So that's a big blow for Australia. I mean, not just from the difference between him and the next 12, but he's obviously one of their star players too. I saw 
Yeah, Sham, I saw Winnie got injured Mitch tweeting. I've never liked sevens. Now I really don't like sevens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a bit, a bit harsh, but yeah. I mean, apparently, though, in the first game of the of Friday, he that people were saying he was just playing on a different level to everyone else. I think he had five touches of the ball, scored three tries, and set up two. Sure. Like, That's yeah, I can't remember who it was that, that made the comment, but you know, when you see a a full-size 15s player on the sevens field, they just are, are a different size human, you know. So if they've got the mobility mm. and the skill set to like make it in the fitness, yeah. you know, then it's, they they do just stand out. Um, yeah, I think it was uh, Nawan Kanitawase who, for me, he's like lanky, yes. but he doesn't stand out as much in 15s. But he definitely looks a lot bigger, like on the sevens field compared to but when you see him for the tars. When nine or something, he's a tall guy and he's like near on 100 kilos, I think. So he's, but yes, I think it's because he's quite tall. He looks a bit lanky. Yeah. He's a big boy. So who, yeah. who do you, who do the Wallabies replace him with? I mean, are we going with a, a Simone Ikital centre pairing or really Hunter at 12? Yeah, I think I think Simone is not quite uh, on the radar. I could be wrong, but I would say Paisami at 12 is probably the next option. Is he is he over his ankle injury? I thought he was still struggling. I think he's in the squad. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if he's ready for this weekend. Obviously, we're recording with only the Springbok team out, so we haven't had the luxury of seeing the starting lineups for everyone. But uh, yeah, uh, other than Paisami, I don't know who else is an option unless they play like... I mean, they could. Tamu uh, is not in the squad. Or like O'Connor at 12 or something a bit more out sure. there. That would be quite out there. Maybe, yeah. I mean, something they could do, which it would not be bizarre, is um, like Jordan Pataya or something. They love throwing him in mm. interesting places. I would be surprised, but uh, yeah. They're I would of... be surprised, but I mean, it's, you know, at least he's a big body. They could fill the role in him. He seems to be pretty versatile across the back line. I mean, I'm sure they'd rather him play for team than just give him the grooming. But Sure. Yeah, and then moving on, um, I think, Andrew, maybe you want to comment on some of the Stormers signings. They've confirmed Clayton Blomakis and Christopher Hollis. How do you feel about uh, bulking up for the URC in terms of some backline depth? Yeah, I mean, depth is never going to be a bad thing. And I think Blomakis might challenge for a first-team place, uh, maybe challenging Sergio Peterson or something like that for that 15 role. He's exciting. I mean, he's... He's not young anymore, I don't think. And uh, but he, he's a Stormers style player. If you look at the guys that really rocked in the URC for the Stormers, the likes of Dwitty, Moni Lebok, Chalant, he's sort of in that mold. Like he's a smaller player, but he's got great feet. He's very elusive, uh, fast off the mark. So he's a great signing. Um, great to add that depth. And I think with Chalant moving overseas, uh, he maybe was signed in in that role. Much about, um, I read somewhere he's 100 plus kilos and you know six foot four or something, so he's a, he's a big boy. Um, the kind of inside center I like, but I grew up with the vet Barry, so uh, people people would say my my ideas of rugby positions are a little old school, and I think we'll get onto that later with our blind side discussion. But uh, yeah, I think two decent signings, and yeah, I wish them well. Cool. Um, and one other person who is back in South Africa, he hasn't announced 
where he'll be, but he said he's going to be available as Marco van Staden. Do we expect him just to go straight back to the Bulls, or do they have like a thousand other loose forwards, so he'll be crowded out? <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think? I mean, Phil, how desperate are you for him at the Lions? I would take him in a heartbeat. He's uh, if, <laughs> when 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 he's fit and playing. I think he's one of the best options that uh, obviously the Lions would have, but even the Springboks yeah. have. So, yeah, <laughs> I think no, he's had but... he's had a history of concussions. But other than that, yeah, I would. Well, was that the medical clearance he needed to get? I read something about you know he needed the med- UK medical people gave him clearance that he was allowed to play. I mean, was it related to concussions or? Yeah, I think was so. It also, uh, he, had, okay. he only played a handful of matches for Leicester and yeah, got released from his contract. So I don't know if he's fully okay, but he says he's okay. So <laughs> got to take a man for his, at his word. I mean, the Bulls, I suppose, they've obviously got more lenient medical staff. If you look at um, uh, Connell Hendricks, so probably not a bad shot for him to go there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Now, that is a whole separate conversation as to why the books, medical staff, and the Bulls disagree. <laughs> That's, yeah. you know, presumably they've got different criteria, so Marco could fit in there quite nicely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he definitely has the, the talent. He's a great player. Well, yeah. I mean, ESCOM went overseas and suddenly we started having blackouts. So hopefully, as he comes back, we <laughs> he brings the power back to South Africa. <laughs> I hope so, because I got that notification this afternoon <laughs> to expect it for the next three days, blackouts for the next three days. So. <laughs> yeah, it was too good okay, to be so, true. So we, we had like a whole week oh, out. Are we getting on an express flight? Yeah, no, getting me as fast as possible. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna move on to uh, look at uh, this weekend's fixtures. I think starting with South Africa and New Zealand this weekend, we've um, we've had the Springbok team announced already. Um, so, yeah, Matt, what are your first impressions of the team that was announced earlier today and any strong feelings about inclusions or exclusions? Um, for, uh, Let me pull it up. There's bad sportsmanship. I don't have it up in front of me. But if you I only sent about six from, different screenshots of the team. I <laughs> know. Oh, I've got to decide which layout I prefer. Maybe I'm well, just going to go with, the one with, with all the headshots. So at least I well, can let me ask you this. Eye. Let me ask you this, Matt. Um. Do you know if Ox is just not being picked at the moment, or does he is he carrying a bit of an injury? I actually have no idea. So, and I kind of yeah, I do actually. I'm curious about that because he sort of dropped out in the middle of the previous tour, mm-hmm. and like yeah, it was a bit weird that he's just dropped out with like zero news about about any sort of injury or whatever as well. And it's not like he's not been on social media. Avid follower there, <laughs> see him all the time there. So I'm like, come now, you must, you fit enough to talk about having cake on your birthday, and signing signing autographs at some Nissan dealership in Joburg somewhere with Dweber. So both of them sponsored by Nissan. Is, but yeah, no. Um, I think for me, in my sort of expertise area, I do like what they've got for the, these two sets of front rows. Box aside, I do like we've got our strongest tight head, Malhaber there. I do like Trevor. I think this tight, this front row, first choice front row, skews a little. It's like a little goes from tallest to shortest if you read from three to one. 
which is a little strange. It's not as flat as it can be on occasion, like like we do with Trevor, Bongi, yeah. and Ox. Yeah. But yeah, and but then as I saw AP Cronier uh, tweet, the the best tongue twister for the weekend is Bongi <laughs> and Bonambi at M- Bomb Squad at Mombapela Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I saw a nice summary which was the in Bomb Squad. <laughs> that works too, yeah. That works too. Mbonambi at I saw that it's um I think it's Marx Marx's first start since Argentina last year. So sure. it's like ten games in between. So he sort of cemented down that role of the impact from the bench at uh, at Hooker and it's obviously his fiftieth cap this weekend, so perhaps that's why he's uh, getting a start. So, yeah, it, is a, it is crazy how even, because I mean, it's obviously Bongi's 50th in Cape Town. So those two are even in terms of caps. And I think at least until going going into the June series this year, they were even or like one between them in terms of tries as well. So I think Bongi scored a couple more tries in this series in June against Wales. So he might be slightly ahead now. But I mean, it's they've okay. just incredibly even in terms of probably minutes, caps, uh, you know, and yeah, tries and stuff. I think Marx's biggest sort of and why he's stuck in the well not stuck in the bomb squad, or why he's like the bomb squad specialist, is like he's just an extra fetcher to come on at sixty minutes over and above. And it, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, I mean I'm he, looking forward he, to it. he's so good though that sometimes I feel like he's just not getting enough game time. But yeah. at the same time Bongi's been playing uh with a couple of small dips in form. He's sort of played out of his skin since Rossi. Um, became coach. I think I think it's a similar argument though with Kitsoff yeah. and some of the loose head props. You know, I mean, he's also arguably one of the best loose heads in mm. the world. But I think the the key issue between Bongi and Marks and then say the other loose heads and Kitsoff is they bring a that over the ball threat. So it means <clears> that you've got more turnover opportunities in the last twenty mm. when defense may be tired, and they're also just a bit more dynamic around the park. So again, they can increase energy rather than you know. Yeah. I think the other guys are more tight carrying specialists and tight hitting guys, you know, so they're there to soften up the t- opponents in the first 40, 50 minutes. And then you bring on the guys to explode a little bit. Uh, whereas yeah. I don't see, you know, Bongi bring that same explosive impact off the bench necessarily, you know, but he's, if you want someone to like put their head down and just crash it off nine, Bongi's definitely the better guy to do that. You know, so I think it just, again, it suits the mm-hmm. game plan. But I think the key thing is that like, one, what one hopes is that, you know, Marx is, if you say reaches 100 caps, you know, 60 or 70, they're going to be off the bench. And the same for Kitzel. I mean, Kitzel's really like third most bench caps for the Springboks. You really yeah. hope that they're fully bought into bench equals as important as starting. You know, and, I, and I'm sure they do. But, you know, as long as they're on board with it from that perspective, that, you know, the impact they bring is game changing. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, thinking back to what was it, chasing or chasing the sun, that was the vibe that they gave off and that that was what everyone was buying into with the whole idea of the bomb squad is that you mm. we were just as important then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many games has the bomb squad once, you know, it's like, yeah. it's part of the game plan to have eight guys on the bench that when they come on, the game changes. Yeah. yeah. And I think, so it's, I think, like other teams have sort of tried to replicate it, but not to the same extent. I think just a no one quite has that same like big front row depth, even like lock depth. That's the Springboks. Yeah, I think lock depth is the, the the real fuck up for everyone. But also just like that almost camaraderie, even if it's yeah, it doesn't feel like force. It feels like they manage to 
and like you guys were saying, just getting the buy-in from everyone, having Marks and Kitchoff happy to be on the bench is just massive. Um, and I think the other big inclusion or talking point is Kurtley Aronser getting a start. Andrew, I'm mm -hmm. sure you are excited to see him starting at 14, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm a KLA fan. Um, he is, as Jacques Niemnab has put it, a like-for-like -like replacement for Cheslin in the way that they play and I guess their stature as well. <laughs> um, but when he came on against Wales, I thought he really acquitted himself well. I was giving him an especial uh, focus through that, that uh, magnifying glass and, and he really stood up to, to some beefy Welsh outside backs. I can't remember. I think he was... He was up against Cuthbert for the first yeah, 20. Cuthbert, exactly. He's 105 or whatever. And, and there were a couple of times where, you know, he really showed his seventh experience in really cutting the man down immediately, not giving him the momentum and space. And, yeah, I mean, he deserves his spot. And I just think there's, there's not much in the way of other options in the way that the box have gone about selecting their squad. I think, from my perspective, dropping Fussy was a bit odd. Um, given that he's been sort of the project wing in the Springboks and I think is one of our future sort of 80 to 100 cap outside backs. Um, he's a young guy with tons and tons of potential, uh, but they've decided to exclude him for, for this part of the rugby championship. We'll see with the games against Australia and Argentina if he gets brought back in, um, along with Marcel Coutier, which I also thought was a bit of an odd an odd exclusion when you've got younger guys like Ulrich Lowe and Evan Ruiz who haven't really proven themselves yet to throw out Marcel Cousset's experience, but they have their plans. Um, but yeah, Kuti Aronso, I'm excited to see him versus the All Blacks. It's going to be a real big test for him, especially if they put someone like Lester Fanganuku against him. Um, but he's shown he can do it, and uh, hopefully for our sake he does it again. Yeah, uh, I think he's just one of those guys who, whenever I see him, he looks like he plays above his weight. You know, like his, um, like you said, he can tackle guys who are much bigger than him. He can, I think, like his sort of pre-contact. You know, he even if he doesn't have a lot of space, he manages to somehow make it look, or he manages to generate that little bit of extra space when it doesn't seem like there is. So I'm also super excited to see him. Um, and then other than that, I guess we have Faf back. So Faf didn't start the last game. Uh, we saw Jaden Hendricks start. So wh how, what do you guys feel? Does, are we playing it safe by going back to Faf? Or was it always just uh, an idea to give Hendricks a bit, few more minutes? I think the, the blueprint for the box for the World Cup is going to be a Faf-Pollard pivot. Um, so giving them the game time makes sense. I mean, we know what they can do, but this is also... If we can get a good victory over the New Zealanders while they are, in inverted commas, weak, um, it'd be really, really good. And I think we're backing Faf and Pollard to do that for us this weekend. If we do get a good victory, I think we might see a change, maybe a gain back to Jaden next week. Um, we'll see, I guess. But I think I think Faf had an indifferent series against Wales. And Jane Hendricks had quite a good series, which is only good for the Springboks. But we all know what Faf and Pollard can do as a combo. So um, I'm excited to see them back together for the big game. Yeah, yeah. one would hope that Faf does uh, step up for it. Um, you know, he definitely has with him. But yeah, as you say, he's been a, been a little bit rusty. So it's, I suppose it's good to know that we've got the pressure of Jaden there. And, you know, now 
if Southgate is struggling a little bit, we can comfortably bring on Jaden. And Matt, do you think we're making a mistake by leaving Billy on the bench? I was looking, I literally was looking at it and thinking about that now. And you know what, in front in front was Dane's absence. Billy is the next best player to fill that role on the bomb squad. So it's not so much we're making a mistake leaving him on the bench. It's just he is... In, in absence of Francois Stein, the next best player to be put, plugging that 10 to 15 hole on the bench. So, yeah, not a mistake. I think it's a good idea. We probably will see him come on at some point and plug whatever hole is inevitably shown to be in the back line. Yeah, okay. And, Are um, you upset that Billy's not playing? More importantly, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think <laughs> springboard yeah just disappointed in your answer there Matt <laughs> um I, I think Billy came on quite early in the last match because he was obviously on bench in the last match against Wales I think it was a Colby who went off super early with the, his injury yes. so so it's sort of yeah we didn't really see his lack of presence just because he came on so early but I think in that in one of the in the well in the first test obviously the, the first game I mean yeah yeah when Elton was starting at fly off perhaps more of the blame was on that but uh the, it does it, like I, I think people have noticed the sort of lack of fluency without um really in the back line so hopefully we won't get that and we won't need the we won't need to pull really off the bench super early and bring him on and he can just come on more naturally like in the um near the end of the match but um we'll see yeah i mean Willemse has another big opportunity at 15 he's played well uh, but all over the place at the moment, you know, like 12, he's played some 10. So we'll see how he does starting at 15 against the All Blacks as well. I'm sure it's his first start against the All Blacks. Um, not 100% sure, but it feels like it. So we'll I, see I how so. I mean, I remember he came off the bench in New Zealand a year or two ago and really had all those really good steps at one stage, but I don't think yeah. he started. All right. Yeah, so obviously the New Zealand lineup hasn't, been announced yet, but uh, we do know that they are in a relative state of disarray as far as New Zealand go. Uh, it's almost unheard of that their team is not, you know, looking formidable. They've gone, they lost at home to Ireland in the series, and um, they, I would say, they're underdogs. And um, even though people are, you know, uh, cautious to write them off. I think South Africa have a big opportunity to pull off two wins here. So what are you guys expecting from New Zealand? Should we start with you, Andrew? I mean, I, I'm i so hesitant to say that they're underdogs because it is still New Zealand. It's still the core of the players that, you know, form a formidable squad that have challenged us toe-to-toe for the last however many years and if you look at our history against the, the All Blacks apart from the the World Cup uh, fixture against them which, which we unfortunately lost every single game in the last few years has been decided by two points or less um, and I just don't think you can ever write them off they've got such individual brilliance especially through that back line um, I think where they might be lacking is, is more the the front row um, and in the balance of their back three, not the not the outside backs, but the Lucys. Um, yeah, I just think right off New Zealand at your peril. You know, you can't underestimate them. And I know the box have been saying that in the press all week, but the South African rugby public is just smelling blood and getting a bit frantic. I think. I think 
if we get ahead of ourselves, we're setting ourselves up for a shock uh, in Nelspreet. But definitely, I agree the Bucks have a golden opportunity here to make a statement in this first game. And I think we have the team on paper now to do it. Obviously, we don't know who we're up against yet. Um, but given given the, the tumultuous series they had against Ireland and the, the backroom changes that they've undergone with the two assistant coaches being fired and new, two new guys being brought in, you know, who knows if that's going to galvanize the guys or actually upset their rhythm even more. It's difficult to know until until we see on Saturday. Um, I think I'm backing the box to win it, but I am not one of those who thinks we're going to do it by 20 points. It's it's still going to be a struggle. It's still New Zealand. It's still 15 world-class players out there on the field. So, yeah. Yeah, and and um, what changes in terms of like the starting lineup or even the 23? Do you expect to see? I mean, it's going to be really interesting. They've given Joe Schmidt a bit more of a like a bit more power. I think they've said that he's now in a more hands-on analytical role as opposed to just a selector. Um, you know, I suppose that begs the question: How much of a role as a selector did he actually have? How much input did he put in the team? Because he seemed a bit too sharp to make the kind of selection errors New Zealand seem to be making, but. It'll be interesting to see if they do make significant changes. Um, and I think that probably just raises the question of, do New Zealand even have the players they need um, to rectify it? I mean, I've seen lots of conflicting articles of some guys saying, like, obviously there's a million amazingly talented players in New Zealand. But at the same time, they're just lacking certain body types, I think. And maybe this is this is harking back to uh, Andrew's comment of, you know, they don't have a 105 kilogram, 110 kilogram crashing inside center. You know, they don't have a 115-kilo blindside that they can yep. just smash into the line. They, I mean, not just in the current squad, but, I mean, in the whole of New Zealand. You know, um, I think we, we went through it, and maybe Blackout is the one body they could they could add in, but he's injured. So it's like, yep. I think those are the, the kind of the, the biggest key issues for them. Is if you can't tighten up the game, you know, if you can't get over the game line consistently, then you're going to struggle generally. Um, so yeah, in terms of selection, I don't know if we'll see anything significantly different. You know, I mean, I would think they're probably still going to back record uh, only a 13, who still seems to be a bit of a um, an experiment to an extent. You know, people again, you've seen mixed criticism of Bowden at 10, will they bring in Richie or not? I don't know. Um, I mean, you can probably guess the wings will be Jordan and Fanganuku. But even then, I mean, it's you know, if you play Fanganuku or you play Caleb Clark, like, does it really change the, the team? You know, if you play Will Jordan or Severis, does it make them stronger or weaker? It doesn't doesn't really. You know, the issue is, is much more tactical and, and just a couple of bodies I think they're missing. So it'll be interesting to see if they do make any significant changes, um, what they can make. And, but yeah, I think the, the key issue is going to be mindset. Uh, the, the one thing that, that I just would like to what Andrew mentions, you don't write this team off. I mean, everyone has talked about how Ireland completely obliterated and dominated them in the series. I mean, it was 25-22 with like 15 minutes to play in that third test. You know? So for all yeah. of them being written off, they were you know, within touching distance. Yeah, and against, the, spring, the Springboks yeah. are not exactly the sort of team to put other teams away, other top teams away, and win by like 20 points as well. So, you know, if anything, if you're a betting man, bet on it being a close game. Maybe you can go either way, but it'll, I'm sure it will be close. 
Um, mm. and, and Matt, in terms of your expertise of front row uh, knowledge, so the All Blacks, their front row has also been lacking, I think, this year, and yeah. in terms of personnel as well. Um, I know George Bauer got perhaps unwanted scrutiny in one of Squidge's videos in terms of making yeah. a few silly mistakes, but I mean, I feel I still feel like Bauer is, uh, I think, their best option at uh, Loosehead. I still don't think De Groot is quite ready for them. But, but I mean, what do you think? I mean, I'm biased because I, I think I've grabbed Bauer. Bauer is one of one of my sort of draft favorites for that league, and I do think he most probably is one of the better props in New Zealand right now. And but yeah, I think shame it's going to be a pity watching him and it's weird because i've been thinking about it a bit and i just can't tell you what the four what the four props should be in that new zealand squad like you can say like yeah bauer degree and that but chances are good we're going to see carl tuina cafe still floating around that's got squad for some other reason as well it's just yeah i don't know um i don't know and i think sort of to ride on the back coattails of what ant was saying i it's, it almost feels like New Zealand just has been uncoached at rugby. And like what they need is an actual coach to like sit sit down and actually take the players that they've got and actually fix the players and not fuck around with the player, with the actual building blocks of the players and that, that they've got. And we knock and between the June series and now, that's not going to make much of a difference. There's been almost no time they've been um, how long? When did they get you? They got you like last week sometime. Yeah, I think so, it's still quite fresh. Yeah, I think so. So like, yeah, I honestly don't think there's been mass. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a too dissimilar side. I don't think they're going to be playing too dissimilarly from what we saw. I think we're going to see them angry because, yeah, they've obviously seen the news that we've talked about and there's nothing like an upset all black side, you know, that... So I also think well, it's going I mean, to be again, you say that, but there wasn't exactly much rebound off the second Irish test. Yeah, true. You know, so if, if they had a chance to get angry, surely it was then. But perhaps now they've uh, had a couple of weeks. What is it? Someone someone pointed out that like the All Blacks social media didn't post for like eight well, days. They cancelled last after the third Irish. Game. And they cancelled the press conference on the Sunday. Maybe they had like yeah. a cum stalled which they just didn't tell anyone about. And just like <laughs> said their players. <laughs> and, what yeah. was very interesting though is they interviewed the CEO of New Zealand who was out in Birmingham watching. Of New Zealand? The, like the whole country? Yeah. They did not know that they're a business. Was it, is, it, is it like Jacinda's colleague or boss? Or how, how does the boss? Must be her work? boss, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, so CEO of New Zealand Rugby. Um, and they were asked him, you know, what is about Foster? And, and is he going to get a look at them? They said, Foster is definitely the man for the job for the two tests in South Africa. That was the statement. <laughs> Which is, I <laughs> mean, not exactly the, not, the yeah. vote of confidence, um, you know, you'd expect. So do you think so they've, got, they've got a spare coach, just they've got Razor training a B squad in New Zealand ready that... The second they blow the final whistle in the second game, yeah, that's it. These players are all stripped off. They're done in the All Blacks with Foss, and there's just an entire new crew picking up in New Zealand. Well, that was another very interesting thing that I picked up, that I picked up on. Is that apparently the reason that they went with Foster, one of the reasons they gave, was not just because of continuity, but also because 
of it was on the back of the strength of the assistant coaches that he had in his group. Um, so country and everyone who got fired, everyone who got fired, and you know who they're replacing him them with? All of the Scott Robertson's well, proposed is. assistant coaches. Yeah, so it's it's Brad Moy, it's um, uh, John Plumtree, the, the Blues coach. Um, no, Plumtree was not the Blues coach. Um, I've forgotten his name, McDonald. So all the guys that Robertson suggested to bring in as assistant coaches under him, if you were to get the job, they're now bringing in now to replace the guys that they suggested were the reason that they gave it to Foster in the first place. So it's like all around just I mean, very messy. Um, you know, not just obviously the shit show on the field, but the just the back office stuff themes. You know, you got Steve Hansen coming out saying that the organization is a mess. Um, you know, it's just very strange. I mean, all the way down to super rugby level, to be honest, it's been very messy since the pandemic, you know, the way that they've dealt with, um, obviously, South African teams leaving and Australian teams threatening to do their own thing. You know, the classic New Zealand thing of thinking that their opinion is the only thing that matters. So I think, Mm. yeah, the whole thing, it's just not, (laughs) they've definitely since, you know, since at least in recent times, this is the most disarray that we've seen New Zealand rugby as a whole. And, and yeah, we'll see what happens if we can add more to that this weekend. Oh, we must, yeah. Let's hope. This is a good time or, to play. Or Sam Kane just has the best game of his career this week. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him, to be honest. I mean, one of the like other... Everything's falling apart. And then just Sam <laughs> Kane, just like this alone. Pulling an Arnie Sevilla and just carrying the team on his back, literally. Yeah. So one of the other interesting things which we haven't yet spoken about, which will be in play this week, is that uh, we are again trialing. It's another trial, I guess. 20-minute red cards. Um, I hear that we might have uh, differing views on these 20-minute red cards. So who wants to go first? Uh, Ant, tell me how you feel about them bringing back this 20-minute red card. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I suppose it comes back to the whole point of why we're having so many red cards, which is we're trying to lower tackle light to reduce concussions. So if the point of it is to try and change players' behavior, then it needs to be a severe sanction. If it's just a slap on the wrist to the, to the, to, and doesn't necessarily affect your team's chance of winning, then it's not actually going to induce any change in behavior. So if is this the right way to induce player behavior? That's a whole separate conversation. But given that's the route they're going, a 20-minute red card completely undermines any attempts to change hack, tackle height. Um, so that's fundamentally why I'm against it. I mean, it, look, when it first came out, I'll readily agree that I, I, I backed the 20-minute red card because I felt that it evened up the randomness. You know, it made a 20... Uh, the difference between a 5-minute and a 75-minute red card are much more, much more even, which I supported. But again, if you understand the, the reasoning, the motivation for the space of red cards we've had recently, then making it when it just kind of rides in the face of that. And I think anecdotally, at least, you can see how many more red cards there were in Super Rugby Pacific than there were in uh, the Northern Hemisphere Rugby. And I think, you know, if you've got a team that prides yourself on discipline, then you're not going to have these issues. So in South Africa, we didn't get, get a single card because we tackled low and dominant. And it also, you know, you don't have to tackle high to be making dominant tackles. You can do it legally, and we've proven that. And so, I yeah, fully support that it should be enforced properly um, to act as that deterrent to get tackle heights lower for the safety of the players. Okay, and um, 
Andrew, are we about to hear a rebuttal, or is it somewhere in the middle? Um, your if if Ant hadn't posted stuff on the group during the week, this would have been a, a polarized debate. But being a scientist, I'm I'm uh, amenable to evidence to the contrary and changing my mind. I mean, I I I, I like the 20 minute rule for all the reasons that you know World Rugby and Sanzar and that have been putting out about it being um, it ruining the spectacle if you know you have a guy go off after five minutes on. On the exception that if it's Darcy Swain that goes off, you probably buy yourself six penalties that he would have committed during the game. <laughs> so I, I think yeah, Australia dog. actually got off a bit easy there. But um, yeah, I think you know if you do have one of those early red cards, it's a a freak accident, but reckless or whatever, and the guy goes off and it's 14 versus 15 for the rest of the game. Um, that does feel like an unfair contest and a bit of a spoiling of the spectacle, and you want to. You don't want to beat a team and then have them say in the press, oh, it was just because you had one man up the whole time or whatever. Um, I then saw what Ant posted was a, a study that said that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was most games, the, the evidence is that a, a card is worth 0.5 points per minute or something that they're off or less than that. 10 minutes, I think, yeah. 0.5 points per 10 minutes. So, I mean, it's a one-point advantage, which was really eye-opening, I think. Um, and number one, that, that well, that either means that um, 14 versus 15 is not that much of a disadvantage, or it means that teams have not been properly coached to deal with numerical advantages. And with, with all the cards that have been dished out, you'd think that these would be things that people practice. You know, if there's, a, if there's an outside back with a red card, what moves are we running? What are we focusing on? How are we exploiting that fact? Um, those kinds of things I think would have been taken advantage of. So, I mean, yeah, that was that was the eye-opening thing for me during the week. I still think it's a, a bit of a spoil if there's an early red card in the game. I wonder if the solution is, is not somewhere in the middle where there's um, red cards for, I, I don't know, and seems to think that uh, getting the tackle height down is more important than preventing, like, thuggery. Um, you know, if a guy punches someone, I think he should be off for the rest of the game. If he goes into a tackle slightly high, um, I don't think that more than 20 minutes is necessary. And, I mean, he doesn't play the rest of the game and he gets sanctioned afterwards. So those are extra penalty factors against the player and the side. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit more indecisive after actually seeing some, some evidence around the, the advantage to the to the, not the offending team, the, the the team benefiting from the player off the field. But yeah, I still think there's, there's merits to it, but it's a, it's a gray area. And maybe the solution is something like having a, a red card for, for thuggery and like deliberate foul play and a, an orange card for bad tackle technique or something. I, I don't know, but um, it's not a perfect solution and people aren't happy, clearly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot... Yeah. Uh, Oh, sorry, I was just going to say a lot of the um, a lot of the decisions where you know all the talk gets generated are from those very marginal high tackles where it's like an inch or two, and you wouldn't have hit his, him straight in the chin. You would have hit him in the chest, and it would have been a good tackle. But like Ant says, those are the ones which we're actually really trying to cancel out. And those, yeah, 
I mean, for most part, you wouldn't say they're deliberate, like straight to the head. You're not trying to smash someone in the head. You're probably just trying to, you know, get a big hit. But um, yeah, so it, it's hard to make because there's obviously a massive difference between someone just, you know, decking someone in the first minute and someone getting their height slightly wrong. But it's so mm. tough then to draw that line and make a distinction between those two different things. Matt, what's your view on this? Where do you come down? So, I come down on Ant's side, especially... What, what's that Welsh cat's name now who just came Ryan out? Ryan James. Ryan James, who came out at the same time as this, where we announced <laughs> we were having this rule. Amazing time. He came out with... With early onset dementia, which is he's like what most, 41 or something. Yeah, exactly, and it's mm. most probably a direct. I don't think he quite said it's purely based on concussions, but we all know that that's the quiet part that no one's saying out loud is that it is from concussions, it is from head knocks, and there's that other fuck. Is that art? Did you guys read that article about the? Is she Irish? Scottish, Irish I think. Player. Yeah, Scottish. A Scottish player. Yeah. Siobhan, yeah, Scottish. She's awesome. That's also heart wrenching. If you, re- oh yeah, she drove to, she had to drive to Ireland or something. Like she had to drive herself after a match and that. And that's also heart wrenching. And you know what? Reading that article and then this other cat that had to basically come out with dementia, I fully back that to, if we want to fix rugby and make sure that rugby sticks around, that we do have to then sanction high tackles. And as as harshly as possible to prevent them and completely and you can't police that by saying oh you go off for 20 minutes and someone gets back it needs to be a severe sanction for the whole side because no one change is going to change behavior without that's without it impacting the entire team not just one player. Yeah, because that's the thing is you know you more uh, a financial penalty or you getting slapped like. At the end of the day, what drives you is letting your teammates down, you know. And if you lose a game because you're off the field and, you're, you're, and you let your teammates down, then that's going to change your behavior, I think. Um, well, ping, ping the coaches for every one of Andrew's orange card a coach is fined. Yeah, or gets a, a rusty ban from the field or something. Yeah, yeah it's still... It's an individual error, and often it is, I feel like, an error. It's not like a guy is deliberately going in and, and taking a person. No, but it's a, no of course, yeah, but you can coach them error. The point is, if you coach people to go low, then they're less likely to do it. Like, again, the perfect example is Charlie Ewells in the second of that Irish game. That was a coach tactic that England deliberately were hitting people in the chest upright. So it means your margin of error to hit from chest to, to, to head is tiny. If you're aiming at the waist, you know, a lot more has to go wrong for you to make that accidental head contact, you know. And of course, there's going to be some gray areas like the Angus Tower one where, you know, the guy really didn't have much chance. But the majority of them is just people coming into contact upright. You know, if you come into contact bent at the waist, it's very difficult to accidentally hit a guy in the head. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, do you want to just rule out tackles below the nipple? Right. It's not it's not like the most like I think ten years ago everyone would be like, Whoa, that's ridiculous, don't even but 
they've spoken about that like but tr those sort of trials like nipple height like uh, Matt said so if, if, if that's what it's going to take say for example we manage to get rid of these 20 minute trials but we don't see any evidence of you know these uh, type of tackles going away then if that's what it's going to take like Matt said this is like for the long-term health or not even health like for the long-term survival of our game because if we keep seeing such negative things happening in the future then these sort of tackles are going to ruin more and more lives and rugby is going to become you know at risk so we might have to take drastic measures at some point i feel like it, like i was saying it is an individual error and if a player concedes multiple cards for the same error then there could be extra special sanctions or similarly if if a team commits the same errors multiple times across a stipulated number of games, then there can be sanctions on that side. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. But again, I think the issue is not on the, the players. You know, it's about coaches trying to get players in better positions. So that's why it has to affect the team. It's not a player's responsibility necessarily. It's, it's the coach's responsibility to get them into the right places. So, also, so, so like, um, so like Rusty on the side of the field coaching Andre Esterhazen how to tackle like Farrell, is that? <laughs> I mean, that that was exactly the point. You know, that was the thing you're saying. Like, you know, if you, if if there's no disincentive to tackle like that, well, then of course I'm going to train someone to tackle like that because that's a dominant way of hitting someone. You know, you've got much more chance of dislodging the ball, much more chance of hitting them backwards. You know, it's a great way to tackle. It's just really dangerous. You know, so if you, if you if there's no if the team's not going to suffer, you know, because SA is not going to get concussed by doing that, and if he's not going to get penalised, you know, then what's the why would you not coach him to do that? If the only risk is the other guy's going to get off with a concussion, I mean, even more reason to coach it, which is the point. You know, that's why it comes down to coaching. And how do you change coaching? You put the team's results at risk. Was there? And how do you put the team's results at risk? Make it a full red card, not a twenty minute. I mean, has anyone read anything that consults player organizations or player associations and, and what they think about this in terms of their own welfare? Um, just be interesting because it all seems like it's a bit of a media storm and it's the the unions that are making the decisions. But I wonder what the player associations actually think. Uh, not sure off the top of my head, but to... Yeah, I don't think I've seen... Like the thing that seems to, and again, it could be more media based than anything else, but there still does seem to be quite a big divide between hemispheres. So yeah. like the Northern Hemisphere for its, you know, whatever whatever you might think about it, seems to have embraced, um, and you see that in like Six Nations and the, these tours, we had the uh, proper red cards, whereas Southern Hemisphere is still trialing these 20 minute red cards. We had it in Super Rugby. There's a lot uh more reluctance to fully commit to these proper red cards and like risk ruining the game in that way um i mean i think the reasons for that is that the north has got a lot more litigation culture so there the north is a lot more at risk of you know um yeah. uh, it's also where all these players are coming out with these diagnoses yeah yeah whereas in the south you i think it's also you know the game's just got a lot less money so people are fighting for bums on seats you know, in Australia, they're competing with four other codes. You start making the game a bit more visually appealing, but, but less visually appealing. Yeah. And suddenly the game falls apart. So it's kind of like in the South, we're fighting for money. Well, they're both yeah. fighting for money in a sense, but from very different angles. 
Um, you know, so I think that that probably does somewhat hit the, the divide. Yeah, and I think the codes also like I think they're a bit more lenient in things like rugby league. So having that yeah, yeah comparison directly also has an effect on the fan base and what they think they should expect. Um, anyway, let's uh, last, move. Last, okay, last, 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 last point, Andrew. Last <laughs> to, to find a, a middle ground. What about the 20-minute red card stays, but the team gets docked three or five points or something like that along with it? <laughs> I mean, just so basically, just the red card becomes like almost like a penalty try, is that you guaranteed a three-point off it or whatever? Yeah, you might get your three points from the penalty, and then you get three points from kicking it over because the infringement was in kicking distance or whatever. Yeah, so six-point swing. I just want to roll back two minutes to when you were saying about talking about guys who get multiple infringements. How many times have we laughed on a Monday morning, on a Tuesday morning, at Joe Moody, whose exemplary disciplinary record gets brought up every time? Or, like, how often have we seen those multiple infringement players have reduced sentences for exemplary, exemplary records up until that point? Like. The problem is I don't believe they'll ever stick to that multiple infringement getting a more severe sh- sanction either because right. at, up until this point, they've not proven that they can't stick to that system as it stands. Alrighty, yeah. so now I'm going to put some people on the spot with the uh, final predictions for the game, for the big SA New Zealand game on Saturday. Uh, Ant, let's, let's start with you. Oof. Um, I reckon we'll score 25 to 30. Um, so the big question is, can we keep them under that? Uh, I think it will be within five points to game either way. So I'm going to go 28-23 to the Springboks. Nice. Matt, are you thinking similar or do you have a, a uh, I was idea? thinking similar, but I wanted to lower it a little bit. But no, I like that. 28-23 works, yeah. Wow. And Andrew? I don't think it's going to be as expensive a game. I think the box are going to go back to... I didn't say they were going to be tries. You know, we can score 20 <laughs> points penalties. Uh, yeah, they're they're going to score two or three match. tries. But we can definitely yeah. score like six penalties. <laughs> Especially at Umbambela. You know, we've got altitude. Yeah. Some altitude. It's, uh, low it's, felt altitude. It's the low felt, but it's still above the escarpment, right? If my geography is... Yeah, it's like, <laughs> someone said no, it, I think I saw it today, someone said it's like 650, isn't it? Or 560, it's one of those two. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's not Don't much at all. No. <laughs> that's about the height of Etzebeth, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's definitely no Joburg or Pretoria, so um, we, we'll see how if how that has an effect. But um, So you think a low-scoring game then, Andrew? I think something more like 20 to 17 or something like that. In the box. Yeah, I reckon the All Blacks defense is better than the Welsh. Because if you think about it, we scored 30 points against Wales twice when we played our proper team. <laughs> I um, think so. That's the, the big question. Yeah. Do you think the All Blacks have a better defense than Wales do? I don't know I, if that's I don't know if that's the right question. I feel like for whatever <laughs> reason, Wales like South Africa attack Wales worse <laughs> than they attack New Zealand, if that makes sense. No, I mean I completely mm. agree. Um, <laughs> I just thought I'd be spicy there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think we struggle to score points against Wales more than we struggle to score them against New Zealand. So that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I still think that's a single city against New Zealand as well. 
I, I think the box are going to try play without the ball and let New Zealand run at them and back their defence. The classic Rassi Nianaba tactic. And I think it's going to be low scoring and just attritional. Which is potentially dangerous, right? Because like New Zealand, mm. while they haven't looked, you know, like they've had much of a proper game plan, like we said, badly coached, what's bailed them out when they have scored tries or even beat Ireland in the one game is that individual brilliance. So yes. allowing yeah. them to run with the ball allows someone like Will Jordan or Adi Sevilla just to do something out of nothing. Although saying that, normally it's off turnovers where they're most dangerous. So if we just give them or the ball... Or Adi Sevilla doing a cool ball for May 22. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, okay, so it, it sounds like everyone's confident. Springboks by five or six. Well, uh, confident is a strong word. I think <laughs> optimistic. Optimistic. Um, I mean, like we should, but I don't think, I mean, it's yeah. been interesting. I don't think any, any South Africans are going, I think we were a lot more bullish before the Wales series, sure. as yeah. we should be. I think everyone's been fairly cautious. They're like, look, I mean, in theory, we should, but... Yeah. But let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. And I think that's that's a fair. Um, yeah. And our record against the All Blacks at home is also not great. So hopefully we can turn that around. Um, and then the other game in the rugby championship, which is uh, Argentina at home. So for us, it's Saturday, late on Saturday. Argentina at home to Australia. Uh, Andrew, nine? let's start with you for this one. What are you feeling? Are you backing Argentina to pull through? Karevi's out. How are you? What do you think? Yeah, Karevi's out. And, I mean, the Argentinians have an Australian at the helm, so that spices things up a little bit. Um, I thought they were okay against Scotland, but uh, I think not having seen the team sheets doesn't help, but I think Australia's going to squeak it. It's not easy playing Argentina in Argentina, but I think the Aussies have the, the necessary uh, players to, to win by, let's say, seven points. Matt, are you backing your Argentinian boys a bit more than Andrew, or not really? I do back Argentina. Yeah, I reckon Argentina by seven sounds great to me. And Ant? You've got yeah, the I think deciding vote. I, I think the key thing is that they've got Michael Checker, coach, who is the perfect foil for Argentina, which is all about emotion, getting charged up, passionate. Mm-hmm. And I reckon, you know, he could get them up for that game, um, particularly against his home team. What I mean, another interesting thing on that, apparently when he was coaching under Ledesma, he would never wear the Argentinian kit when he played, when they were playing Australia. Good wear cities. <laughs> so he obviously does have a lot of respect for Australia. And so will that mean that he's going to go easy or it means he's going to really go out and send it? But I reckon, you know, I mean, if there's ever a coach that can properly fire up a team, it's, it's Checker and I back him to do it at home against Australia. Yeah. He's got to do it through translator, unfortunately, because they all speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I Out of I, curiosity... Yep, go ahead, If an Aussie fan calls Cheka a, a traitor on the sideline, do you think he's not even going to bother yelling at him and just <laughs> rock him one in the nose? Yeah, <laughs> I, I reckon he's just going to No restraint, yeah. It's just straight up. Straight red card, first minute, doesn't matter. Yeah. He storms <laughs> over to the fan and just rocks him one. Doesn't yeah. even bother telling him, come say that yeah. I think I think Argentina have Sorry. a good chance of taking the first game, and then the second game Australia will um, 
be much more in it. And one thing we haven't really mentioned is the change in structure of the whole rugby championship. So even New Zealand playing twice in South Africa at the start of the tournament, it's almost like a mini tour. We haven't had these sort of things. It's almost, you know, obviously they're going to move to Joburg for the second game, but being able to rectify those mistakes and not traveling halfway around the world and waiting a few weeks before the next game, it could change things up a bit. So especially, you know, if what you guys have said, South Africa managed to take it home by five points. New Zealand will have a chance then just one week later to really change things up. Do you think, do you guys think that will have an effect on the second week of the tournament for both sets of games? I don't know what Rossi and Jacques have planned. I, I wonder if they're not trying to send out their strongest squad now against New Zealand at home try and get two wins and then they'll they'll send that experimental squad over to either to Argentina or, or to Australia because I mean they've they've done weird things in the rugby championship in the past and um, we've paid the price for the loss to Argentina and we haven't been that good against Australia so I don't want to underestimate them but we'll see and I think they they have to at some point in this series blood guys I mean they're doing Kurti Aronson now against the All Blacks which is bold but I think the right move but there's other guys coming through. There's Alrich Lowe's, there's Evan Ruiz's, who they're going to have to expose at some point in this if they want to take them to the World Cup. And I, I don't I know think if they're going to do Argentina will be done for that for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to do that in the second test against New Zealand if we have a win in the first, or if they'll just go all out against New Zealand and then send them overseas. I, I think just given Rusty and Nova's history, they they go full out against New Zealand. Because those are the games that, you know, I mean, like even last year, yes, we lost Australia twice. The fact is we beat New Zealand and that's what kind of people kind of remember. So I think then if we win, get two wins against New Zealand and then lose to Australia and Argentina, people will still call it a successful tour um, or successful sure. thing. So I think that's by far the most important thing. Once you've got those two under the belt, you can then start looking at other mixes yeah. and matches, I reckon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully we don't see a 13... <laughs> change team again like they can maybe bleed it a little bit better yeah. I mean also the the one thing to remember is that New Zealand are the only other team from the rugby championship who are on the same side of the draw as the Springboks and even going back to chasing the sun and like getting that um, yeah just getting that those victories over them now even though we're still a little bit out from the World Cup just over a year, actually. It's like super important, like from a mental aspect, just getting the wins and getting the confidence to know that we can beat New Zealand, even if it's at home. So, mm. yeah, I think these two will be, you know, full strength. And then we'll see from there, like Andrew said, even perhaps sending B teams over, which would be risky, but perhaps for the greater good in the long run. Yeah, so with that, I think um, you know we've given our, our predictions for the weekend and uh, excited for everything to come up. Any final thoughts from you guys? Matt, anything that you'd like to wrap up with? No, I'm all right. So I turned off my mic. The dog was barking. No, I'm good. Cool. <laughs> Andrew, your side? I just hope I get to watch the game. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're above water and somewhere in front of a TV too, for your sake. And Ant? Yeah, I just really hope we pull it off. Um, it would be very frustrating if we pull the loss. Not that we, you know, should be overconfident, but you know, 
if we want to be best in the world, we should be beating everyone else at home. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And it does place a little bit more pressure, but again, this sort of pressure is what you have to deal with, not just as world champions, but as, like you say, striving to be the best team in the world. Okay, I think um, that's all. That's going to be all from us this week. I hope that you join us again. We'll try and, I think, do another one next week in, in the aftermath of the first week of the rugby championship and, uh, and give our takes on what's happened. Um, from all of us, until next time, cheers.